we're talking about Maricopa County, everybody knows that our supporters were showing up on Election Day and they showed up in droves three to one. We're Republican. We're voting for me on Election Day. And so come Election Day, we vote for a month here. Election Day rolls around, and all of a sudden, at all these polling places, the tabulators go down, the equipment goes down, the printers don't have print a toner in them. They're not working. Let me give you some stats. 63% of Election Day polling locations were inoperational or non-functioning. People show up. The lines are long between one and five-hour long lines. You heard me correct. One and five hour long lines at more than half of the polling locations. 87% of poll watchers and poll workers like that woman you just heard from said they are not at all confident in the outcome of the election because of how it was run on election. Can I ask you one question? I hate to interrupt, but you just said 63%, if I'm not mistaken, of uh, polling locations. And then you said 87% of poll watchers. Just because I know people will say it, they'll say, well, that's 87% of Republican poll watchers. Or all poll watchers? All poll watchers. I, I don't think they asked them, but there were equal amounts. Yes. So you've got a you've got a lot of Democrats there who also think that there were problems. Yep. And Bloom, uh, not Bloomberg, um, uh, Rasmussen, I believe it was, did a poll asking Arizonans how they felt about the outcome of the election. And 69% of Democrats don't have trust in the outcome of the election. CISA stands for the Department of Homeland Security Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency. As a sub-agency, its stated purpose is to, quote, lead the national effort to understand, manage, and reduce risk to our cyber and physical infrastructure. But recent, recently revealed documents reveal that CISA is less focused on cyber issues than controlling the national narrative. The purveyors of the most secure election in history have been keeping a secret for their eyes only. Documents recently uncovered reveal secret briefings held by the agency with state and local elections officials, along with big tech executives and other so-called stakeholders, solely focused on censoring information related to the 2020 election. One of the secret briefers at this confidential, as you can see listed at the top of this document, is none other than Maricopa County recorder Stephen Richer, who laid out a series of proposed tactics and opportunities to address emerging problems among election election officials. These included educating the public on the understanding of the truth, providing intelligence and metrics, partnering with social media, and a term that seems to have just entered the public lexicon, pre-bunking. If pre-bunking rings a bell to you, it's because the term has been all over the news cycle this week with the release of the Twitter files and the Elvis Chan deposition in the Missouri versus Biden case, where the FBI met with social media companies to debunk the Hunter Biden laptop story in advance of the New York Post release, hence the term pre-bunk. An effort led by former Twitter executive Vijay Gaddy. And guess what? Lo and behold, the records show that Gaddy, too, was at this secret briefing in March of 2022, where she made the following recommendations. Gaddy recommended that CISA provide the information they wanted out there for social media companies to disseminate, and she, quote, share the effectiveness of pre-bunking on Twitter 
which she would know from having suppressed the laptop story before the 2020 election. Another suggestion from fellow attendee at the D was DHS official Suzanne Spaulding, who suggested media boot camps for outlets like Fox News and CNN. The group defined several terms, including malinformation. Richard offered as an example of malinformation all of the pesky public records requests his office had received from citizens following the 2020 election. Now, keep in mind that during all of this, Richard had already established an anti-Trump political pack aimed at backing candidates who, quote, acknowledged the validity of the 2020 election and condemned the events of January 6, 2021 as a terrible result of the lies told about the November election. Now, Donald Trump's lawyer, who actually used to work at the Department of Homeland Security at one time, Christina Bob, tweeted, quote, well, look what we found. Turns out SZA has been collaborating with Stephen Richard to censor election information and keeping it from the public. Notice it's marked for our eyes only and noted his pack. And joining us now is Christina Bob herself, the attorney for former President Donald J. Trump. And good to see you, Christina. I understand you have a book coming out as well. So I do. Thank you so much. Yeah, I'm excited about it. Thank you. It'll be available. Uh, it's available now for pre-order and will be available in January. Stealing your vote, the inside story of the 2020 election. And I know you have the inside story. You have, you know, your your background and experience is a lot of people probably don't understand that and don't know you did actually at one time work for the Department of Homeland Security. So you have a unique understanding of exactly how the agency works. So tell us about these documents that you all found. How did you find them? And if it's just about making sure the truth is out there to the public, right. why is it marked confidential? That's a great question. That's a really good point um, that they marked it for official use only shows that uh, they wanted to keep this secret. Now, CISA is, as you mentioned, under the Department of Homeland Security. If we remember back in 2020, it was Chris Krebs, the director of CISA, who I actually worked fairly closely with at DHS. Um, he was the one that came out and said, oh, this was the most secure election in U.S. history and tried to provide some level of comfort to the American people Say, oh, don't look closely, don't look closely. But yet, it's the same organization that is partnering with state officials and big tech to change the narrative, to lie to the public. A lot of the information that's just listed in those documents isn't even accurate. It's the narrative that they want told. So this is very much about pushing one side and they're using government officials to do it, which violates the First Amendment. And it's potentially criminal conduct if they actually are interfering with the outcome of an election. Now, I suspect that this is a, a unique briefing. I, I would expect that there were probably several similar briefings. Do we have any inform right. more information on the kind of efforts like this? Well, that is still being investigated. So we're still looking into that and trying to get more information. Uh, this popped up as particular interest to Arizona because it's Stephen Richer who largely ran the Arizona election. And it certainly, as you know, is very contested. Carrie Lake's filing her challenge today. And so it's very pertinent to what's happening in Arizona and the outcome of, of the Arizona election. So um, this is a, it's ongoing. There's other lawsuits involved in this. We know uh, the Louisiana Attorney General Jeff Landry is involved in a case with Missouri against CISA on this exact issue, looking into it as well. So we have multiple states looking at this across the board. And it, it's particularly concerning because CISA is a federal government that's impacting every state in the country. And so it, this has very, very big ramifications. 
Yeah, and with CISA's involvement in state elections, it's almost how you get federalization of our elections without actually without going through the legislation of Congress. But you brought out the name Chris Krebs, and that's one that I know quite well. And I've always wondered, looking at his background, I think his background is really more in environmental studies. And, you know, (laughs) his wife, I I, I had seen on Facebook, she had, you know, proudly displayed her Biden-Harris logo around her profile picture prior to the 2020 election. So I had to wonder, how did Chris Krebs get that that job? There had been some suggestion to me that he was actually a a personal friend of Chad Wolf's. Do we have any insight on why he was even there to say that this (laughs) was the most secure election in history? That's my understanding. Um, Chad Wolf was the chief of staff for Kirsten Nielsen at the time, and they brought him in. So it was my understanding at the time and still is that they were friends. Um, but I don't have much more like, you know, I wasn't I wasn't in their particular circle, so uh, I can't yeah. say firsthand, but um, that's my belief. Now, talking about the Carrie Lake uh, lawsuit that you brought up today or earlier when we talked to you a few days ago, you seem to be very hopeful about it. Do you still feel that way? And what can we expect going forward once that's filed? I absolutely have a lot of confidence in this lawsuit. Carrie Lake has the law on her side. She has the facts on her side. I think uh, when people see and have time to digest what's in her lawsuit, people are going to be outraged. Uh, My hope for this case is that it's so explosive that the courts can't sweep it under the rug. In 2020, we were up against the clock. We didn't have a lot of time. It was the first time that the teams were really investigating this type of cheating. And we kind of ran out of time. We had affidavits, we had evidence, but it was very fresh and very new. Well, they've had two years to look into this and there's there's information out there. There's a lot of evidence available and we're gonna see it in that lawsuit. And I think it'll be really hard for the trial courts to just sweep it under the rug. I do expect them to try to sweep it under the rug. This is a big issue. Courts are typically skittish. Unfortunately, in Maricopa County, a lot of the courts lean left. Mm-hmm. Although, you know, I, I hope that they'll do the right thing anyway. But ultimately, regardless of how it comes out at the trial court level, I do think this is a case that will probably end up at the Arizona Supreme Court and we'll we'll see what they do with it. But when you I don't know how you can possibly look at a state and say it's appropriate for the federal government to be manipulating the information. Oh, and to mention what we were talking about earlier this earlier this week on your show was that Katie Hobbs, the secretary of state, who was the Democrat, was also collaborating with Twitter and getting uh, political Mm -hmm. speech removed. So you have you have this mechanism where people get to control the levers regardless of party. It doesn't matter. And I don't know how the Arizona Supreme Court with any sense of integrity can say, yeah, that's okay. It's not okay. It's not okay. It's not what people want. It's not what people expect from their leaders. And quite frankly, it's just not fair. Yeah, absolutely. Isn't it? But I, I did take particular note of the fact that Stephen Richer in that meeting in March did praise the courts, suggesting that they had been helpful in keeping election fraud cases out and, and helping control the narrative. So there's that. But we will see. This is definitely big news today, and there will surely be lots of developments going forward. It'd be interesting to see if it is something that does go to the Supreme Court. It could. Thanks, Christina, absolutely. Bob. And again, congratulations on the book. Stealing your vote. Available for pre-order. Thank you so much. 
The Twitter Files Part 2 just dropped, and it's just as juicy as the last one. Bari Weiss revealed what many of us have long suspected. Twitter has secret blacklists. It puts certain accounts on certain lists, like a list of accounts to make unsearchable, or accounts that should be prevented from trending on Twitter. For example, take Dr. Jay Bachikara, a professor at Stanford. Weiss revealed that Twitter secretly placed him on a trends blacklist, which prevented his tweets from trending. This was because he tweeted that he believed COVID lockdowns would harm children, and rightly so. Guess what? Like I said, he was right. The secret Twitter group was called the Strategic Response Team, Global Escalation Team. It reportedly sometimes censored 200 people per day. Pretty sure I made that list. Speaking of censoring accounts, Y said Twitter also put libs of TikTok on the trends blacklist. Twitter has suspended the account several times for so-called hateful conduct. But as we all know, that was just an excuse. Weiss tweeted this according to an internal SIPS memo from October 2022 after her seventh suspension. The committee acknowledged that Libs of TikTok has no direct, has not directly engaged in behavior violative of the hateful conduct policy. Wise also revealed that Twitter put Turning Point USA founder Charlie Kirk on a do not amplify list. And it gets worse. Weiss also said that Twitter put talk show host Dan Bongino on a secret list that made his profile unsearchable on Twitter. So there we have it. It looks like Twitter has been caught lying, which, again, we all knew. In 2018, Twitter's Vijaya Gaddy, who was the head of legal policy and trust, and Kayvon Beckpour, the head of product, were quoted saying, we don't, we do not shadow ban, they added, and we certainly don't shadow ban based on political viewpoints or ideology. Of course not. Join me now to discuss the Twitter files is probably someone who's on that list himself, Darren Beatty of Revolver News. Darren, it's good to see you, and we'll get into, you know, the choices they made in releasing these files. But look, here's what I think. We're seeing a little bit. I want to see it all. I want to see that full blacklist, every person that was on every blacklist, and I think Elon Musk should release it. Will he? Well, that's a great question. And my understanding is he's expressed um, an intention to do so. So we'll just have to see to what extent he releases the files. I mean, you know, he's not going to release the entire history of all of Twitter's internal documentary, you know, communications. But I think he really does need to err on the side of expansiveness when it comes to these particular kind of content moderation, censorship, blacklist, um, shadow ban type questions in order to establish the transparency that he claims he's interested in. And uh, it took a little while longer to get this latest drop. We now know part of the reason for that, and that uh, is because of James Baker, the former FBI lawyer who's so embroiled in so many anti-Trump scandals at the Bureau, specifically the Alpha Bank lie. This is what Congressman Jim Jordan had to say. Let's take a quick listen. The guy vetting the release of this information is the same guy who was part of the Trump-Russia investigative team at the FBI when he was chief counsel. He's the guy who accepted the information from Michael Zussman, Clinton's lawyer, about the Alpha Bank issue, which was all false. Then he goes to Twitter. He's the one who says, oh, the Hunter Biden story is a hack leak operation. We need to suppress that. It's okay to do that. It's reasonable to do that. And now we find out he's vetting it. So I, I want it all released. 
I agree I want it all released, but my question for you, Darren, considering that James Baker was in that sensitive position of vetting the information and controlling the information, do we believe do we know if he probably deleted that if a lot of that information or anything that might be incriminating to the FBI? I guess what I'm asking is can we trust that the evidence is even still there? That's a great question and depending on his level of sophistication, I would think that there would be a kind of digital trail even of efforts to delete things. And so hopefully Elon and the kind of the team at Twitter in light of this information would have conducted sort of a, a basic investigation to see whether he was attempting to uh, delete information. And if so, obviously that would need to be made public. But I would imagine there'd have to be some kind of digital trail for the very attempt at deleting things. Well, let's certainly hope. Now, the choice of Elon Musk to pick, you know, independent journalist Matt Taibbi, and then Bari Weiss. You've been pretty vocal about your discontent with the choice of Bari Weiss. I I tend to agree with you. I think she's not what people say she is or portray her to be. Do you feel, though, in the release that uh, Bari did yesterday, do you feel that she did a good job with the drop, or should we be concerned that there was certain information filtered through her? Well, I mean, that's a great question. I think just based on the thread, she did fine. I mean, I have to say, I, I don't think she did a bad job insofar as the information that she presented. Obviously, the information is very valuable. But of course, if it's a situation where Elon's basically decided to give full range access to all of these files to you know a handful of kind of cherry-picked journalists, um, that in itself raises questions. I mean, I understand the need to have kind of a, an interpretation maybe for the first drop to kind of help categorize things in people's minds to tell a story. I mean, uh, that might make sense from a sort of PR perspective. But in addition to that, I really hope he does sort of WikiLeaks all of the relevant files, at least the stuff that, you know, Barry Weiss would have had access to. Um, so we can be confident in the public that, you know, there's not sort of another layer of censorship going on at the level of reporting this censorship story, that we, we don't have to lay our trust into sort of Barry Weiss's editorial judgment as to which Twitter files deserve to be released and which don't. And, you know, that even gets to the level of who are the people are on the blacklist. Like, you know, I'm a big fan of Libs of TikTok, big fan of Dan Bongino, big fan of Charlie Kirk, all of them. And it's, you know, it's outrageous that they were banned. But there are probably other people on there, too, that she chose not to discuss as kind of victims of the censorship campaign. And I think we need to know every single person who was on that list. And so if she's not going to include that on the tweet thread, at the very least, we need some kind of depository mm -hmm. where we can look in and see all of the people who are banned and what level of ban. Because it looks like from the release last night, there are different 
um, there are different levels to what they call visibility filtering, which of course is nothing like shadow banning. They just literally called it something else. We don't shadow ban, we just engage in visibility filtering. Right, it's semantics. I agree with you. I want to see that entire list. I suspect that I am on it. My account still has yet to be restored and I've noticed that anyone that's have been critical or would you platform based on being critical of the vaccines have not been restored. So I wonder what the holdup is there with Elon. We have about 30 seconds, Darren, if, if you want to provide some of what you think, some insight you might have into that. I don't know. Um, I, I suspect, I mean, I think everybody would have to be let on. I mean, that's always the position that, that I've advocated. And when you look at some of the accounts that have been let back on, like there are some very controversial accounts that are back on Twitter. So yeah. I would imagine just based on that, that ultimately everyone should uh, you know, have to come on, possibly like accepting cases that are just directly difficult for Elon, like, you know, that are so high profile that it's sort of a PR question, PR challenge in its own right. And I know Elon yeah. is, you know, like very high profile accounts like Alex Jones and like Kanye West. Although I suspect just based on the personal relationship that Kanye West and Elon have, um, eventually Kanye West's account will be reinstated as well. Probably. We'll see. I guess right now I'm still too dangerous for Twitter. Good to see you, Darren Beatty. Always. Good to see you. And speaking of banned and dangerous people, the D.C. bar is threatening to revoke former New York City mayor and Trump lawyer Rudy Giuliani's law license for questioning the 2020 election and claiming it was fraudulent. During a hearing over Zoom on Thursday, Giuliani didn't say much. He mostly took notes. The lead prosecuting attorney for D.C. Barr's office's disciplinary counsel called Giuliani's election fraud allegations in Pennsylvania unfounded. Now, if you follow our show, you'll know this, this is comical because the Supreme Court is said to take up a case about 2020 election fraud and certification in, yeah, you guessed it, Pennsylvania. And they never even alleged facts that there was any fraud. They never, they, they never showed a single voter who voted who shouldn't have been allowed to vote or a miscounting of the vote. They even alleged it. What, what, how did you try to prove it? Giuliani's attorney argued that because Trump's legal challenge did not go forward, there was no legal reason for Giuliani to have his law license revoked. It'll take months before there is any action from the D.C. bar. Now some outlets are reporting that the January 6th committee is considering a criminal referral for Giuliani and others, including former Chief of Staff Mark Meadows and Donald Trump himself. Let's welcome in spokeswoman for the 45th president, Liz Harrington. Good to see you again, Liz. Good to see you, Emerald. Now, one of my favorite people in D.C., uh, David Korn, we know him of Russiagate fame. He had something to say about this. He retweeted Kevin McCarthy and said, looking forward to your investigation of Rudy Giuliani's collusion with Andre Derkok, a Russian agent per the Trump administration, to promote the anti-Biden disinformation regarding Ukraine and how the New York Post falsely claimed info in the laptop proved this phony allegation. That would be a service. I mean, and given everything that we've seen in the last week from the Twitter files dump and then the Missouri versus Biden case, 
I, that just makes me laugh. <laughs> Projection much? I mean, <laughs> these are the same people who trafficked in actual disinformation that came from Russian sources, the phony dossier, which has been disproven, you know, time and time again, weaponized against President Trump, who's totally innocent. I mean, that's unbelievable. They have no shame. And, you know, talking about that uh, attack on Rudy Giuliani, Rudy Giuliani is one of the greatest prosecutors of his time. He took down the mob. He knows fraud when he sees it. He knows criminal conspiracy when he sees it. He's been proven right, as has President Trump, not only about the corruption with the Biden family, but obviously the corruption uh, in the 2020 election, which continues to come out to this day. I mean, not least of which uh, the first Twitter files dump, right, which proves uh, that the government was acting against the First Amendment, suppressing freedom of the press uh, to try to steal an election from the people. I mean, it, we've been proven right so many times, Emerald, uh, but that's why they have to do this. They have to attack and smear and try to drown you in legal debt what they're doing to Rudy, what they've been doing to President Trump, because they want to keep stealing elections in perpetuity. That's what it's about. And they want to intimidate anybody else who would come forward and fight against the wrongdoing. Uh, but we're not going to stop. And neither is Rudy. Yeah, it's amazing to me to watch them try to erase his history. I actually saw one reporter suggest that Rudy Giuliani had never done anything successfully, which was amazing given his history, as you noted, with prosecuting the mob, taking down the mob, but also uh, his how well regarded he was in his response in New York following 9-11. Giuliani was one of the most loved figures in the entire country. But as you noted, they continue to keep him in litigation investigation after investigation, which mounts up these legal bills, right? Yuri Giuliani has massive legal bills, and it seems to be sending a message to people who would want to dissent. Hey, if, if, if you, if you go against the narrative, if you point out obvious fraud, we're going to do this to you too. Exactly. It's an intimidation uh, tactic, uh, and they're trying to send a message to anybody uh, who just has common sense. I mean, you're talking about Pennsylvania. Uh, to this day, they never reconciled the votes <laughs> with the voters uh, from mm -hmm. the 2020 election. There were 121,000 more votes than voters. And they didn't care, even though it's against Pennsylvania statutes to certify an election without an investigation when the numbers don't match. They, do, they didn't care. Uh, it's total lawlessness. But that's why this issue is not going away. Um, people need the rule of law restored, and they're not going to stop until they get it. And that's why you see Carrie Lake fighting yeah. in Arizona. That's why you see these cases continuing to be filed before the Supreme Court, because we have to have a resolution or otherwise we won't have a country. Now, I also wanted to ask you about the Twitter files you mentioned a moment ago. Judicial Watch President Tom Fitton has some interesting things to say about James Baker, another name we know well, who just got axed from Twitter. Baker, it turns out, uh, was a part of the deep, deep state and still operating as his deep state at, at yeah. Twitter because you have, uh, you know, the reporters suggesting that he was withholding information. And then separately, you had Musk himself talk about information that had been withheld from the previous owner, Jack Dorsey, the previous CEO, and right. uh, maybe that information had been deleted. I don't know who's involved in that.
James Baker is one of those people who was involved in many anti-Trump scandals at the Bureau. How does this revelation of James Baker and his efforts at Twitter help the former president's case? What, what will you all do with this information now? Well, it's certainly very damning. And we know the cast of characters very well within the FBI. This corrupt cabal that's been going after President Trump, uh, really going after the will of the American people since before he won in 2016. So this is further evidence. I think we can use it uh, legally. It, there really should be, I think, criminal accountability here. These are law vi violations of the law, violations of the Bill of Rights. And this cannot be allowed to stand without accountability or otherwise they're just going to keep doing it. They're going to filter in or cycle in a, another person who's just as corrupt as Jim Baker. Yeah. And it's very clear to me now, and it should be to everyone, Emerald, that these big tech social media platforms are not just a data gathering operation. It's also just a propaganda mouthpiece for the deep state. It's very obvious that they work together and to seed actual disinformation, actual propaganda to the American people to, to try to control the narrative. People really need to you know, be wise to that and don't trust what they see on these platforms because uh, it's all seemingly controlled. And I hope uh, and pray Elon Musk really roots it out, but it, it still remains to be seen. Why was Jim Baker still there? I mean, he was there to guide uh, that's these files question. being released. I mean, that's absolutely preposterous. And of course, he would have covered up the most damning parts of it, because really what we've already what we've seen released, we already knew. Uh, it's just further, you know, uh, yeah. proof receipts. But there's much more to come. And that's what President Trump was alluding to this morning. Well, I can't wait to see the more. But speaking of propaganda, it apparently doesn't pay very well because there's been a slew of media layoffs in the last week. <laughs> Several major corporate news companies making savvy cuts, all from CBS to CNN to BuzzFeed to NBC, the, the true propaganda loyalists. We have about 30 seconds. People don't know, but you and I actually met when you were still working at the Free Beacon. So you come from that DC world of, of media. Uh, what do you make of the layoffs at these major liberal leaning outlets? It's just too bad in the Biden economy, right? I mean, that they've been covering up for acting like everything's great. Uh, it's pathetic. And it's really a sign, I think, that the American people do not trust them. They have no credibility. They have no readership. They're propped up by big corporate uh, donors and advertising, big pharma and the rest. And the people aren't buying it. So uh, I think we need a real cleaning of house and a real restoring of the First Amendment and freedom of the press and fair, accountable yeah. press if we want to get our country back. Yeah, we'll see if this helps any at all. Thank you so much, Liz <laughs> Harrington. Good to see you. Good to see you. Like I always say, we have to celebrate the wins when they come. And there was a recent big win for freedom of the press and another loss for the tyrants in Maricopa County, Arizona. The Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals have ruled in favor of the Gateway Pundit in its lawsuit against Maricopa County Supervisor Jack Sellers. The suit alleges that Maricopa County denied a Gateway Pundit journalist's press pass. Gateway Pundit reporter Jordan Conradson wanted to attend a press briefing on Maricopa County's disastrous election. But the county denied him because it doesn't consider the Gateway Pundit quote, quote, 
reputable journalism. A full hearing on the appeal will be held in January, but for now, Jordan has his press pass back and can cover the Maricopa County briefings just like any other journalist. Let's bring in Jordan Conradson of the Gateway Pundit. Jordan, it's a win for now, and I think we have to celebrate the wins, especially when we're talking about freedom of the press because there's been such a crackdown on truth and and true journalism. So congratulations, first off, on the victory. Thank you, Emerald. Yes, this is a huge win. I mean, especially when we have these Maricopa County officials. Uh, You know, I recently found out that uh, they were meeting with the Cybersecurity and Intel um, Infrastructure Security Administration Mm -hmm. to suppress me on social media, suppress the Gateway Pundit. They mentioned the Gateway Pundit by name. And this is in addition to Secretary of State Katie Hobbs working with Twitter to silence her political opponents. It's really terrible. Yeah, and I'm sure you're referencing that uh, March meeting uh, with SZA between Stephen Richer, who happens to have a political pact, which, which we talked about earlier in the show, and what they discussed, which was supposed to be confidential, about uh, about censoring information, malinformation, disinformation, and they actually quoted the Gateway Pundit. And you know, the, the thing is, Jordan, you weren't the only reporter that Maricopa County tried to keep out of press briefings. I believe there was also Real America's Voice. But it was any journalist, and there's not many of them, right? There's only a couple of you or a handful who are looking at the the maladministration and, and the rigging of these elections. Yes, exactly. I've been on the ground in Arizona since just after the 2020 election, looking into the stolen elections here in Maricopa County. And some of my reporting has actually led to the resignation of Maricopa County officials because of how damning it was for them. Um, if you if you remember Steve Chukri, he was a Maricopa County supervisor until he resigned after I broke undercover audio tapes of him basically saying everything we agree with, everything contrary to what the Maricopa County Board of Supervisors was saying in public. So it was a clear content-based restriction towards me because they just don't like me. Yeah, well, like you said, you exposed the truth of what was going on behind the scenes. Let me ask you, I think a lot of people have already moved on from the Arizona election just to show you how short the attention span of journalism is. What's currently going on in the way of journalism there? Are there press briefings? How many people are really still covering the debacle that continues? It's not over in Maricopa County. Yes, I'm not sure if they're still holding press briefings. I I do have my credentials, so if they do have a press briefing, I'll be able to get into there. But right now what we're seeing is there's currently recounts going on, and we're about to see an election challenge drop here in the next few hours, here today. Carrie Lake is going to be filing lawsuits against this corrupt election, and Katie Hobbs is just terrible victory which it wasn't really a victory. She stole the election, an election that she was running herself as Secretary of State. And again, asking Twitter to silence her political opponents. And there, there is so much here. It's, it's, it's just ridiculous. Well, Jordan, we're very glad that you're on the ground in Arizona doing great reporting and that you fought for your right to be there with a valid press pass. That's what it takes. Thanks so much, Jordan. Congratulations. Thank- Thank you. All right, that does it for us this week at The Absolute Truth. As always, have a wonderful weekend, and we'll see you right back here on Monday with more truth.